everyone and welcome to the next edition of the VTX podcast. Here at the Veterinary Thought Exchange, we like to start by asking, what are you thinking? And this week we're going to be thinking and chatting with the amazing Jade. Many of you will know Jade because she's one of the founders of the brilliant charity Street Vet. We do talk a lot about Street Vet today, even going back to where the idea of setting up a charity uh, called Street Vet even came from. We talk about Jay's own career in veterinary medicine, but I think most importantly, we chat about the people that she's met along the way. We chat about the people living on the streets, homeless people and the relationships that they have with their animals. We talk about the people in the veterinary profession who have helped to make Street Vet the charity that it is today. And we even talk about some of the familiar celebrity faces that she has met along the way. I will you know, say this again, I've said it before, um, really just an honour to chat to the guests that we do in the podcast. And this episode for me, um, for so many reasons, just um, will always have a special place in my heart. In our clinical segment today, we're going to start a series of discussions about acute diarrhea um, and the management of acute diarrhea, particularly focusing on not reaching for the antibiotics in many of these cases. So I hope you can uh, join us for that too. Right, well, listen, thanks, Jay, so much for joining us today on the podcast. I I mean, you you maybe you need no introduction, obviously, but for those listening, if you could just maybe tell us quickly a little bit about yourself and, and I suppose a little bit about your veterinary journey, if that's Yeah, okay. no, of course. Um, my name is Jade Statt and I am a vet. I graduated from Glasgow Vet School in 2002. Um, oh, I know, God. see? <laughs> that's a while I back. Harsh, harsh. <laughs> Um, and uh, yeah, been a small animal <laughs> vet um, ever since, really. Um, and then accidentally started a charity, um, and mm. now do that majority of the time. I did go back. I left practice in two thousand and eighteen for two years, so that I could start. I guess. Well, I couldn't. We couldn't. I couldn't do street vet and still work at that point. So left. Um, did that for two years and then I went back to practice one day a week and then the rest of the time I am I guess co-founder brand ambassador and clinical director to give me all of those titles for mm. the charity street bit so pretty cool and I think so sorry I don't want to go back to the 2002 but no thing, no but that hit me just to, just to, just to clarify for you, that's over twenty years ago. Just in case you didn't know that. <laughs> just in case. In case it slipped my mind. Yep. Yeah. 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 And actually, I wanted <laughs> just going back to Glasgow. Sorry. Um. So, are you from Glasgow as well? I am. Yep. Born yeah. Born and bred. So I remember. Um. I remember we chatted on the phone quite a number of years ago and I didn't, I knew very much who you were, your name. I had no idea that you were from Glasgow. The minute I heard your voice, <laughs> I felt immediately reassured <laughs> that you were going to be a good person. Well, that, <laughs> because... that makes me very happy. That makes me very happy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean though? Like it, it was that idea when you've got an idea of someone in your mind, truly, because like you're, you're this person that did this thing. 
And then actually the minute I was like, oh, but she's she's from Glasgow, so it's fine. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so it's all fine. It's all fine. You know, the, the, the thing that people will absolutely know uh, you for is, is setting up Street Vet. And I think... That's great. <laughs> but I think I, I do always wonder, you know, when people have had what seems like a very good idea, I'm always interested in, you know, what there that moment, you know what I mean? Like, um, it's like asking Taylor Swift, when did you get the idea for that song? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but when was when was that moment? You know what I mean? I think people are really interested in that. So where where can you think of the exact moment you were like, mm. this is... Oh, I know, I know, the, oh, I know do. the exact moment. Okay, I well, do. Share, I do, do share. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it was, um, I met a, a guy called Dave, um, a homeless gentleman um, in London, and he had a large exuberant staffy uh, called Brick. Um, great name, right? Mm, um, and yeah, I was out on a night out with some friends and I stopped to talk to any dogs that's kind of what we do right mm. um and yeah i was just sitting on the pavement talking to him um and coincidentally the same sort of parallel i was losing my own dog so um i had a chocolate labrador called oakley um who my first boss bought for me um in my first job in 2002 just to just to reiterate the 2002 <laughs> um and you don't get bosses that buy you dogs right no. so he did he was pretty damn cool um and yeah oakley was just yeah that that dog we all have one mm. we have lots of special dogs but there's usually one yeah. and he was my one um and yeah he got me through three bouts of fairly severe depression that saw mm. me off work three about six months at a time so, yeah, I knew that I was in that anticipatory grief part. Um, and, yeah, just sitting on that pavement talking to this stranger, um, I just suddenly thought, you know, that this dog is everything to him that mm. Oaks was to me. And I just felt uh, just an overwhelming concern for him because he was there was nothing wrong with the dog it just had itchy skin but he was so worried about mm -hmm. how he was going to get help for this dog mm -hmm. and having been a vet all this time I felt quite ashamed I think that I'd never thought about how people experiencing homelessness access mm -hmm. veterinary care and it just seemed such a no-brainer to me at that moment that well if I had what I needed in a bag, I could have just helped this guy out. And it actually would have transformed a little, th a little thing for me would have been a massive, massive, you know, weight off his mind when everything else is quite chaotic. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was that. And then I kind of walked away and I was like, right, I'm sure I can do something about this. Um, this seems like a really solvable thing. I could just put some stuff in a bag. Obviously, it's not that simple. Um, and there were lots of meetings and um, considerations for the Royal College, VDS, all mm. those things. But in that moment in my head, it seemed like a really simple thing to do. Um, and then someone told me about a guy called Josh Coombs, um, who is a barber. Um, and mm. he runs a movement called Do Something for Nothing. Mm. So he basically asks other people to give back of themselves um to people experiencing homelessness so he took out his scissors cuts hair 
and he, if you look him up, he also helps that he's very nice on the eye. Um, he's he's <laughs> such a nice guy. I'll be. I'm looking him up now. Look him up. <laughs> Honestly, look him up. Um, and so yeah, I was like, okay, well, this is what I want to do. This guy already does it. Let me see if how I can, you know. Mm-hmm. So I emailed him, and um, we met up. Obviously, to him, he was like, yeah, just get your stuff. Come on, let's go. I was like, yeah, not as simple as that. Um, But the first time that I went out properly was with Josh. um, And it was Christmas uh, 2016. And um, if you look him up, anyone, please do. He's he's an absolute force of nature. He now travels all over the world helping people. Um, He's an inspirational speaker. He's amazing. and typical Josh, the camera, like all loads of video, like TV turned up. Um, and the next thing I know, I was on like <laughs> the ITV news, um, like a rabbit in the headlights, just like not knowing what I was doing um, because they came to see Josh. And then I, I was just there. And then I think from there, it all just snowballed because obviously the veterinary profession got wind of it. Um, yeah. And then it just shone a light on I think a way that people wanted to to give back, you know, in this yeah. country rather than getting on a plane and going to Fiji, which is also nice, but um, not as accessible. Yeah, yeah. I think that's interesting, isn't it? There is this kind of desire to do to do more, and and like you say, that often does involve going on a plane. I've never thought about it like that, and you, I suppose, you don't you you can do that in lots of different ways. Just a couple of things I wanted to pick up. Um, apart from stalking Josh now on Instagram, <laughs> um, which I'm going to start doing. Um, the, I, I want to just go back to that first thing you said, which I, I, I genuinely think, you know, you said that you stopped and spoke to this guy on the street. I think first and foremost, I don't think everyone would do that. Like, I'm not, <laughs> like, no, but I'm not, like, no jokes though. Like that, that, I, I think it takes a certain type of person to do that in the first place. So, I don't think we should underplay that. Like, I think would you know that for you as an individual to take the time. Uh, to... That's fairly normal for me. Yeah, okay. I would say. Well, like I none of say, my well... none of my friends were surprised that I was sitting on a pavement, um, okay. you know, uh, having having a chat. And I guess if I look back, and I hadn't done this, but um, someone asked me about it, and I was like, oh my god, I did do that. I did a project on um, the big issue and people who were experiencing homelessness with dogs specifically selling the big issue when I was 12 um and my mum like fished it out and like was showing me it and I'd actually forgotten I did it um so I think maybe there's always been yeah I've yeah me me it, it was never a surprise in my life for me to have some people that I would speak to that were experiencing homelessness on a regular basis um with or without a dog to be honest um but yeah I think there's something quite scottish about stopping and just randomly talking to people right but where did you you, i do yes i do think (laughs) there is a friendliness you know um but i i wonder where you know does that can you see a pattern in your life or something in your life that maybe led you towards being that person and and maybe being the person that stops you know is it there there do you know then there's maybe more to it than just your scottishness or maybe not (laughs) um I don't know. I've never really, I've never really thought. I mean, I guess in general, um, I am a 
bit of a fixer and I want to help, I suppose. But mm -hmm. most vets and vet nurses have that in them um, as well. But I don't know. I honestly, I just think there was a, um, a vulnerability about me at that time um, because of Oakley. Um, and I don't know. I think it also became... Because I remember telling my parents I was going to do it and they were like horrified. Um, and they were like, what do you mean you're going to put a backpack on and go out in the streets of London? Um, and I was like, it's fine. Just going to do it one day a month. It's fine. Um, they didn't put a GPS tracker in my backpack at all. Um, but it was something that um, I think was a bit of an escape for me as well, because I mm -hmm. was going through, you know, I lost my I lost my. I lost my my dog, my guy, mm. um, and so being able to kind of channel your energy into helping other people at that point, I think was mm. was quite cathartic for me too, um, and it was it wasn't an easy project to start. Um, uh, once you actually, you know, like any good idea, you think, oh, that'll be good, and then you're like, oh my god, this is way harder than I thought it was mm. going to be, um, and so. There, there reaches a point of no return <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I remember speaking to somebody else who had started a charity and she was like, you need to decide if you want to get in that, you know, washing machine. She was like, because mm -hmm. once you're in, you can't get out. Um, mm -hmm. It's going to completely change your life. Um, mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, that's a very good point. <laughs> but I, I, Wouldn't it be great if things were just as simple as, I, I can't remember exactly the turn of phrase you used, but just... If I just, if I, you know, if I just shoved a few things in a bag and, and actually I just need, you know, X, Y and Z and it would all be fixed. But I like the, although that is not the reality when it comes to any medical profession with all the, you know, the rules and regulations that we have to kind of adhere to. But equally, I love the simplicity of that. The fact that actually, you know, there is a simplicity in it too. You know, there is mm. a, apart from the rules and regulations, really there's a joy in that simplicity actually you're not you know that dog that night brick is not didn't require you know open heart surgery they just required a little bit of reassurance and maybe some medication but actually there was a there was a simplicity in that and just that reassurance of that individual was actually part yeah of I the... think a lot a lot of the time with our clients just having registered with us and they get a tag with an 800 number on it and just that changes their mindset because they're like okay if something does happen I know what I can do whereas before they're yeah. just like well, you know where do I go what do I do and it's not to say that there weren't you know there's not veterinary practices that would see someone experiencing homelessness we all have to see a client if it's an emergency but um, it's a proving you're homeless really really mm -hmm. difficult um, and b um, they're super super intimidated to go in to a waiting room full of people. Mm. Um, they, there's a lot of social anxiety. You know, a lot of people experiencing homelessness are incredibly isolated out of choice. You know, they don't they don't like interacting. They feel let down by society. They've got a lot of um, authority concerns, um, but also just frightened. Like, you know, this yeah. dog is everything. And they are thinking if I go in that door, somebody's gonna take my dog. Um, yeah. which is not necessarily a founded thing, you know, there's no um, evidence behind it, but in their mind, it's it's really, really intimidating. I just want to pick up on one other thing you said, you talked about kind of that, you know, right place, right time, being out with this 
other individual who was doing something, you know, not the same, but similar as far as trying to help people with cutting hair. It reminded me actually uh, of a moment, you know, at Adele jokes, you know, she was on the Saturday uh, Saturday Night Live just at the right time because <laughs> Sarah Palin was on her episode. So, would we, you know, would I have been as famous now if, if I hadn't been on that episode with Sarah Palin back in that election cycle or whatever? And I think it's funny, isn't it? It's that sometimes the world does just work out in the right way and you, you were just in the right place at the right time to cause that right little bit of attention in, in the right way. Do you know what I mean? And that's kind of, that's quite cool too. You know, I'm just going to hang out with this hot barber guy and it's all, yeah. it's no, all I definitely, really well. <laughs> I definitely think that. Um, and I'm, I, I don't know if you're a believer in, yeah, mm. fate, serendipity, all those things. But um, I recently, it's going to make me sound a bit like non-scientific, but I'm throwing it in. Um, I sent Go my numbers to a numerologist in 2014 because um, someone said they were amazing. So I did a, um, they sent me back, like she was in her 80s, this woman, and she sent me back a cassette tape. So I had to actually buy like a thing to listen to it. Um, I listened to it at the time in 2014, completely like rejected it as like rubbish. Um, mm. And then when I moved recently, I, I got it out and listened to it. And it was blew my mind, to be honest. She said categorically, she said to me in 2014 um, that you need to put your feet up and rest because in two years' time, you're going to or start an organisation that's going to change people's lives. Um, and I'm just like, what? Like, how? What the hell? So, mm -hmm. who knows? That's so interesting as well. I mean, I think, so that kind of leads on to my next question. I think, you know, back in 2016, and that doesn't seem that long ago, actually, does it? Like, you know, that seems Seven like, years. Does it yeah. not seem like, well, maybe it is a bit long ago. Okay, so, okay, fair enough. Just compared to the 2002, do you know what I mean? That was our benchmark. <laughs> yeah. Um, all so right, you, all right. Do you think that, would you ever have imagined that that, that this idea would have would have gained the traction that it would have gained and, 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 and got to the stage where it is now? No, not in a million. Not in a million years. But I did have quite a lot of faith in the profession. Because mm. um, I guess there was quite a lot of skeptics who were like, you know, the profession is, is struggling. I mean, back then as well, probably obviously even more now where, you know, we're working hard, we're finding um, a lot of challenges. And the last thing that people might want to do is put on a backpack at the end of their day and go out and be a vet or a vet nurse again when they've just done a full day's work. Um, but I didn't really feel like that. Neither did Sam, to be fair. We were like, I think that there will be mm. people that, that need this and want to do it. And um, yeah, was not disappointed. And it was quite overwhelming how many people were just emailing going, this is needed. I want to do it. How do I do it? Mm. And that was why, you know, it was so... It was probably looking back, we probably opened too many, too many places too quickly. Mm -hmm. um, but at that time, I mean, I had absolutely no experience of running a charity or what that looked like. I mean, I was running it off a WhatsApp group. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, so it has progressed and matured and evolved in so many different ways. But that's because I've now got people with skills <laughs> in those areas to help me do that. Because mm. um, for a while, we were definitely winging it. Um, mm. you know, in, in a lot of different areas. Um, 
but yeah, the profession was has been incredible, and I think that in itself is something that I'm really, yeah, you know, really proud of. The street mm-hmm. to me, street vet is the profession. Street vet, it's our professional way of of giving back in this country, mm-hmm. um, and I think like what we were talking about about going on a plane and going to Fiji, mm-hmm. you know, people have that in them. They really want to give back what the skills that they have, mm-hmm. but it is. I think more rewarding to give it back in where you live. Mm. Um, and I just think it's really special to be able to do that and to be able to do that. What we wanted to do was create something where people could do that with no professional risk to themselves. So we'd done all the, you know, all the due diligence. You just have to literally put your backpack on, go out, do your two hours and that's you, mm. you know, there's no other sort of worry for you. Um and and that wasn't easy to make happen, but now that we have made it happen, I think that's why it's a lot more accessible for people. Because um, two hours a month is is not a lot mm. um, to give, really. And actually, you know, at the end of a busy week or day or whatever, you know, I think you know you spoke about you know street vet. You're dealing with a lot of vulnerable people, but actually, you know, I, I think you know I would argue that in the veterinary profession, we're also dealing with a lot of. I think as you also kind of touched on a lot of really vulnerable people who are struggling themselves to navigate their their own day to day, you know, and I know it's all relative, you can't really compare one person to the other. And I'm not trying to compare what homeless people are going through to what the people mm-hmm. in the veterinary, but what I'm saying is, there's a lot of vulnerable people in the veterinary profession and actually, in many ways, they will be looking for other ways in which they can use their skills, which are not necessarily that day to day, which doesn't always necessarily bring them huge amounts of satisfaction you know and i i think there's so i'm not surprised by the amount of love and support and 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 outpouring of people wanting to help that you've kind of received do you ever does the magnitude of it all now ever freak you out do you not sometimes are like (laughs) Because like everyone, so I mean, no jokes, like everyone knows who you are, everyone knows what Street Vet does and who Street Vet is and and there's like, you know, famous people in that that are into it. So like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. then do you not like sit home and be like, ooh, like, so it's quite a big thing now. I mean, that, I, it, I'm not trying to put, but would, I would be a bit freaked out. I'd be like, oh. I, there's definitely <laughs> been times, there have definitely been times where I've thought, what the heck have I done? Mm. Um, but I think it's now about keeping it going. Mm. That That's the factor that, you know, can sometimes keep you up at night. You know, there's all these people dependent on what we're doing. We also have, there's 14 staff. Wow. Um, you know, there's an amount of money that we need to yeah. raise to, to keep going. Um, and... Yeah, that in itself can be quite intimidating, um, but I've I just I've got an amazing team. They're just amazing. I mean, I've, I'm about to go on maternity leave, and I'll be honest, I I don't know that I could have done that before because I would have been too worried about what would happen in my absence. But Street Vet is not does not exist because of me it exists because if I've got this amazing amazing team now mm. and they will I'll be more upset yeah. <laughs> just disentangling myself street bit they, they're they're going to be fine and that's a pretty wonderful place to be in to know that all the people that are doing the work like they are as passionate about it as I am which is which is amazing um 
So, but yeah, a hundred, a hundred percent. There's definitely been some pretty, pretty moments where I've just not known what why I was doing it. What am I doing? We lo I lost somebody. Um, one of my clients, um, and his dog. Both of them died. Mm. Um, in, un yeah, misadventure. I think mm. will be where we'll put it. But, um, I was on the Lorraine show with him the week before, mm. um, and he was saying that street vet saved his life and then a week later he was dead mm. and i yeah i had a moment that was mm. that was probably the toughest moment i think for me in the kind of reality of what we had created because we were sending vets and nurses who are by nature fixers mm. you know um and going out to whether they meant to or not, befriend people mm. who have very, you know, a demographic of people whose life expectancy doesn't tend to go past 45. Mm. Um, and I was just like, I am created a monster, mm. you know, because people are, are going to get close to people. Um, it started about the animals, it came, became about their, both of the people and their, you know, the pets very, very quickly. Um, and yeah, there's just lots of blurred boundaries and, and, and it is hard, really hard um, to maintain those. So, yeah, that one was at that point, I thought I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, it's too hard. Mm. But I knew that he would never have forgiven me because he was obsessed with Street Vet, obsessed. Mm. Um, and he was like our biggest cheerleader. So we didn't. I got Rosie Allister on board and we started to do reflective practice yeah. and quite a lot of um acknowledgement of what we could do to to keep everybody safe because yeah. it is it is hard yeah. um and then we, we we named our volunteer of the year award after him and we have been giving it out for six years can you share his name is that yeah well he's it's the name of the award it's the dean lester coleman oh, award and he was yeah same age as me Oh, right, gosh, right. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. I don't know that's really... Sorry, one sec. <clears throat> okay. Dear me. God, that was really tough. Gosh, right. Don't, I've, never watched Lorraine, <laughs> I've never watched Lorraine show since. I can't watch it, but... So I was going to say there's two... So there's two people in the world that will make things better. Lorraine Kelly might be one of them. <laughs> 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 and then I tell you the other person it would be Rose, Rosie Alistair. So I think yeah. um I, I think the thing um that I liked about that was the fact that I I realized that there was a potential uh you know I you know am I creating a problem here for the people that I'm kind of sending out into the into the world doing the thing that I want them to do which is help. And I love that Rosie came in to help because she definitely is a, a good person to have on board for these things. But I think that was kind of my next question is the fact that, I, and this is no, this doesn't just go for 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 the work that people do with Street Fit. I think the animals are the easy part of all of this. <laughs> like, mm. don't you think? Like, I think, mm. you know, the animals are not the challenging part of this job for me. They're actually the thing that is the good bit. So then you bring clients in and for whatever reason that just makes everything difficult and you know joyous in some state you know in some places but 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 really difficult in others and so how do you 
prepare people for the people in this role? Yeah, so I think, I guess it goes back to when we started talking and you said, you know, I don't think everybody would just sit on a pavement and, and start a conversation. So yeah. I guess for, for me, that aspect of it came quite naturally. But we get a lot of people who come to Street Bet saying, I want to do this, but I'm, I don't, how do you approach somebody? What, what, how do you maintain boundaries? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and find it, it's not for everybody. You know, and we're very clear about that from the start because sometimes it's too much. And it, mm-hmm. you know, you might go out and do it and think, do you know what? No. Um, because as much as you can put boundaries up and, and have protection, you get to know these people. Um, because you will most likely see them every month, some of them every week. Um, and that brings amazing things as well, but mm. sometimes really, really, really hard stuff. So at StreetBet, you know, we what people, we've got safeguarding training that is just about to start. We've got leadership training that we're doing in February. We have the conference every year. And at the conference, um, Rosie speaks every year on something. Um, but we do, we've had the in communication, the actors come in and we do role plays um, on different subjects. So right at the start, it was about, you know, how, how to approach somebody. Um, then we've gone through, you know, de-escalation and, you know, various different things that we see all the time with Street Vet. Um, we have got um, a buddy system, Rosie does reflective practice every month, um, same day every month. Um, I love it. I go every every month. Um, but some people just dip in, do one, and you know. But the important thing is that it's there. Um, we've got Street Vet Facebook members group, um, which is a closed Facebook. There's about four hundred and fifty people on it, um, and they're super responsive. You know, people post on there. Um, got mental health first aid training if people want to do it. Um, and we do a monthly CPD as well, which some of the, some of them are topics on pet bereavement, some of them are clinical topics and, and we do that. But um, yeah, I think that the hostel scheme was my way of responding to trying to help people feel like they were helping the people a bit more. Because um, a lot of the time, well, we did a survey and, it was overwhelming how many people said that they started street vet for the pets, but now they do it for the people, um, more more so, um, which I think is quite quite amazing, really. Um, but a lot of people were like, "I just feel like I'm not I'm not doing enough. I'm going home. I'm leaving them there and going home to my house." Um, and we just had this opportunity to apply for some money, um, at, with the Better with Pets prize, and. I'd had this, you know, we've been percolating the idea of why are hostels not taking pets? What could we do to help? Could we give them a muzzle? Could we give them a crate? You know, quite simple stuff. And then, um, yeah, this competition arose and we were like, well, we'll just apply. Um, And then we won. And then it was like, crap, now we're going to have to do this. Um, We've got to have to create this accredited hostel scheme. Um, which was another massive project. And just, just this, just to, for people to understand. So this was basically a scheme that that facilitated people being able to access hostels with their pets. Yeah. So what we were discovering, which uh, we did not know, because again, I went into this very naive, um, is that people were 
being labelled intentionally homeless or voluntarily homeless if they were offered a room and they refused it on the basis they wouldn't give up their pet. So I was just like, what? So, um, so yeah, less than 10% of hostels in the UK will let people in with pets. So a lot of our owners were just on the streets because they, they will not they will not give them up. Um, so there was like a, you know, up to 25% of people experiencing homelessness have pets, less than 10% let you in. So you've got this kind of perpetuating cycle of, of people being on the streets. So that was the the kind of thought process um and and yeah so we did it and um yeah it, it, i think that has massively helped the volunteers as well because it feels like we're doing not that not that helping the animals isn't important it massively is but there's a bit of hope there um because once people actually get off the street and into a hostel with their pet they get access to so much more, you know, that you don't realise, I didn't realise what having a dog and being homeless, how many restrictions you were putting on yourself, like going to hospital. But once you're in a hostel, you can claim benefits, you can get access to CV support, you can actually start going to job interviews because you can leave your dog somewhere. You know, it, it's massive. Um, But, you know, people were forgoing that because, you know, their dogs are other family so they won't they won't consider it so yeah that that to me was quite a big turning point and I think it really yeah I think it's helped a lot of people to have a bit more of a hopeful mindset for people and we you know we're not we've not got hundreds of them we've got 25 at the moment and we've got another 69 onboarding um but yeah we've got success stories we've got people that have been through the hostels and are now out out the other end um which is which is great so from from your experience of of meeting um the the people that you are helping firsthand what what do you think how how do you summarize what their pets mean to them um i mean we have discussed that i've been a vet for over 20 years and in that time the bonds and the relationships that i have seen with people experiencing homelessness and their pets far outweighs the bonds I've ever seen in practice. And and you see, you know, obviously, but I think maybe that's because you, you just don't know these people that come to see you in practice anywhere near how you get to know, how you get to know the people who are living in the street. But it, it's, you know, many people will say, oh, if I lost my house tomorrow, I'd never give up my dog. Would you, would you not? These people, it's real. Yeah, They've done it. Yeah. They're living it. They're not going to hospital. They're not going inside. You know, COVID, they were like, nah, you, you know, I'll, I'll take my chances. If you give me, a, you know, an option of a hotel, if I can't take my dog, I'm staying out here. You know, it's real. And you just, you just see it. You know, they are most of the time the only support network that they have, their only mental health support. Um, and their dogs, you know, one of, we're doing some filming at the moment and one of our clients said you know my dog is the reason I'm here today and he'll be the reason I'm here tomorrow um and and that that's just the truth really in a lot of these cases and people always want to know are they good owners and you know have we ever had to take somebody's dog away from them or you know you get asked that a lot and 
And I guess it's all relative, right? You know, um, you see people in practice that you think, you know, have you seen your dog in the last however long? Are you some parent? Is that member of staff that's bringing the dog in? You know, you've got a dog walker. It, it, it is. <laughs> I, I've been doing this, as I say, for six years, and there's been one instance where we've had to remove or get get help, but that that person was having a mental breakdown. They were not well, um, so. You know, the people that engage with StreetBit are engaged with StreetBit. And that means if their dog needs medication, they're showing up. If they've got blood results, they're annoying us. They want to know what they are. Um, you know, I never, ever in a million years thought we'd be able to treat a diabetic dog um, with StreetBit because I was like, that's not going to happen. We've got a guy who would not engage with anyone. Um, and between a very lovely collaboration between us, the RSPCA local practice and a random stranger. He now has access. She puts a fridge outside her house. Um, he lives in a van and the RSPCA visit and the dog is now, you know, she's okay. You know, she's doing really well. And he like phones us with updates the whole time. He thinks he knows more about diabetes than most people. And it's just lovely. It's a lovely outcome. Um, that I would never have thought we would have been able God, to it's do. Amazing. You know, that's, so, it's, that's yeah. amazing. I love that. There's just like a fridge outside my house where the dogs, like I just, that is an incredible. So, you know, as far as kind of, um, you know, I, I, so di I know this is difficult and I'm, I, there'll be so many, but what, if, if you were to reflect on the last, you know, the, the period of time that you've, that Street Vet has been a real thing, Tell me, is there any moment particularly that stands out for you that kind of encapsulates what, apart from the fridge on the outside the house with the, the insulin in it, which I absolutely freaking love, <laughs> I'm never going to get over that. Like, I lecture about diabetes all the time. That's now going into my lecture. Um, <laughs> so, and you know, sorry, sorry, just to say, do you know what I always, when I'm lecturing about diabetes, do you know what I always say? And I feel like a shameful, awful person. I was like, if my dog was diagnosed with diabetes, I'm not sure if I could do it. You know, like, I'm mm -hmm. not sure, like, that's incredible. That's a great disease example, too, because that just shows you with the right support, whatever, and the right client who's determined to do the right thing for their, yeah, God, that's incredible. Um, Is there a moment that stands out for you that kind of encapsulates what Street Vet is really all about, do you think? There's loads, obviously. Um, I think the first one, that really, really, really hit me um, was when, it's quite an extreme one, but um, a client of ours, his dog got hit by a train. Um, and Street Vet's not really there. Well, we, we do help, obviously, in emergencies, but as we talked about, it can just be a chat, a vaccine, a microchip, itchy skin, all these things that make massive differences to the people. Um, but it was that moment when Belle got hit by a train and her owner knew what to do because he had the number on the tag. We had the out of hours set up. It worked. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, um, we had collaboration between the RSPCA um, and Street Vet. The dog was obviously treated. Um, but the, the bit that really got me, the two bits that got me were A, that he knew what to do. Um, whereas okay. if Street Vet hadn't existed, that dog would have been dead. Um, but also that the team 
because the dog had to be away from the owner for weeks. Now, that in itself is really difficult for them. Um, but the team knew him so well. They were, like, messaging him. They were FaceTime, you know, like, sending him little videos. Um, she lost a leg. She lost an eye. Um, but she, you know, she survived. She's a bruiser of a staffy. Um, and <laughs> that, that, that moment for me, I remember talking about Sam, to Sam about it was like, okay, like now we're making a difference. Like we just, just saved that dog's life, not because of, you know, the heroics in the street, but just having made some trust. It was all about trust because I'm not saying that he wouldn't have wanted somebody to treat his dog, but he, he could cope with it because the team were with him. Um, and they do that all the time. They're frigging incredible um, what these teams of volunteers do. You know, we've got, yeah, just so they've saved human lives many, many times um, just from listening or just turning up um, and somebody being there to talk to them on an outreach can change somebody's mindset and I think what Street Vet does in a wonderful way is make the human being at the end of the lead feel valued um, because they don't they, they feel like they're invisible and no one cares about them but when you turn up to help their dog it makes them feel like you know they matter you know we do work in a profession where you know the money is is very much a, the driver you know in a lot of situations in many situations and and I do think sometimes we get it wrong as far as the judgment that we place upon people when they are not able to pay the bill or do the thing. And I've experienced that even working in charity practice where, you know, I, I don't think we're always as kind to people as we could be about that and the decisions they have to make based on finances. So for these people, vulnerable people, to be able to come to an organisation and not feel judged and not feel you know that, that that they're being supported i think in itself if you do nothing else and that's you you're winning the 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 thing mm. right that's that's the aim yeah no? i mean i think it's it's definitely made me a better clinician in terms mm. because we're quite judgy <laughs> as a yeah, as a right. profession you know you'll hear people out the back yeah. going oh yeah they wouldn't do this and you know it's a yeah, block yeah. and, and you're yeah. like you need you know, I would be one of those people, like, who thought that. Yeah, no, me, yeah, yeah, me too. And now yeah, I'm yeah. like, okay, let's just have a think and unpick why they maybe mm. are in that situation. Um, we did an amazing thing with Rosie um, on trauma-informed veterinary care. Um, we did it at LVS, and we've done, like, quite a few lectures on it. And, it, you know, you don't think, well, I do now, but I didn't, um, you know, think about the context of why people were saying no or why things were difficult for them. You just make a a lot of really quick assumptions. Um, and when you have people like experiencing homelessness who run out because you've said you want to take the dog behind the, you know, to have a blood test or whatever, mm -hmm. um, you'd be like, well, I've not got time for this. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, what are you doing? Um, whereas actually... Um, there's, you know, you don't know what's happened to them. Like half the time they've not turned up mm -hmm. or they're late because um, I remember one of our clients had a seizure. Um, another one, somebody burned his tent down. Um, you know, there's just mm -hmm. pretty horrific things. I mean, they get arrested, they get, you know, whatever. 
and and we mm -hmm. can't contemplate all we I remember being so annoyed right at the beginning when I'd arrange for a client to have something done and they didn't show up and I used to take it really personally um and now it's just like it's part of the thing if you're going to work with street vet our clients sometimes don't turn up but they usually got sometimes not all the time a good reason but you know their lives are chaos um and a lot of the time out with their own control um and then you just start to extrapolate that to you know general practice and you wonder you know what people are going through and um i was trying to teach a guy to inject in practice um for diabetes and as soon as i brought the needle out he went mental absolutely mental um whereas a before he was very keen on doing it and then yeah he obviously revealed to me that he mm -hmm. used to be an addict um mm -hmm. and you're like mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know oh my god you know we just don't mm -hmm. we don't put all yeah. the pieces together sometimes. together yeah absolutely and are you are you still doing days in practice now well i did my last day on, last on monday because of maternity but uh. yes yeah i'll be going back i love it i can't i can't cope without a bit of uh, and so, so you still, and is, is that like once a week yes, you do? Yes, I do one Monday oh. and then um, one Saturday a month. Oh, wow. That's incredible too. And and is that important to Very. you? <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and doing outreaches as well, because for a long time, I was very much just behind the, behind a Zoom or doing meetings or presentations. And I don't want that because the whole reason you start something is because it matters to you um and when I sort of wasn't getting to do it the only time I was doing them was like with tv crews and stuff which is just not the same um so I now um I live out towards sort of Peterborough so I run the street vet Peterborough team um and and go out and and do that and yeah I it, it energizes me it reignites the whole thing yeah 100 percent oh good oh good um, so there's a few questions that we I, I ask every guest. I'm I'm going to just get onto them, but I I have two more questions that I really want to ask you specifically. <laughs> Go for it. So, um, so who's your best celebrity pal? Oh, <laughs> that's super hard because I'm 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 going to say Paul. It was Paul O'Grady. Oh, I just okay. freaking loved him. Did you? He was oh, just did you? oh yeah. He was everything that he looks like oh. he, he is. He was the isn't that the best when they're like when they are when they are nice? Oh my god, he just did, there was nothing. He used to turn up on his motorbike um, for filming, and you know he did not care that the film crew had like an agenda. He had his like own agenda, and if if it involved a homeless person being really nervous about filming, he would just like didn't care. He'd be off getting them, you know, setting them. That he was just an absolute gem, but also the 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 dog love was real like he would stop every it didn't matter how many dogs yeah. in the park he'd stop and talk to everyone um and he just didn't mm. care that you know when one of our clients ran out she was really anxious um he went and got her and like obviously then the whole public like leapt on him but he was like you know i'm here for her to try and make her feel better he was just he was so nice such a gem and i found out subsequently um that one of our clients that he met on one of the filming, um, he invited him to his farm um, and sent a driver to go and pick him up. 
um, and they spent the day together and he sent him like Christmas cards and stuff. And it was all stuff that he said to him, you know, don't, you don't need to tell anyone about this. You know, it wasn't done for mm. that reason. Mm. Um, yeah. But I will, I, I will put Claire Balding pretty damn high as well. Oh, legend. Because um, she is... <laughs> yeah. She is a consummate professional. Oh, great. She never lets anybody down. If she says she's going to do something, I don't even second guess her. She's been out in outreach with a cap on. Yeah. You know, she's just, yeah, she's been great. It's, you know, it's, yeah, I'm glad you've picked those examples because I do, I, I must admit, you know, I, I've never met Claire Bolden, but I do, again, hope deeply that she is just as good as you think she would be you know and she does seem she comes across as a trusted pair of hands you know she do you know what i mean that yeah. really comes across like i think that yeah no no quite i mean she and and she's just a trooper yeah. like she is you know she she went on pointless she won twenty thousand pounds for us oh. um and uh yeah oh, she's just yeah she's been an amazing ambassador and i hope she she doesn't leave because we love her well, I'll, I'll make sure to tag her in this episode and that message will be passed on. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. And, and lovely. That's really cool about Paul Grady. That's, and, and I think, again, you could tell how you couldn't put that on the way that he was with any of the dogs that I've ever. And I've watched him in so many shows, you know, and I think it'd be hard to put that on. But like, I don't know how you replace that. Um, I know they're trying to a bad know, well, but yeah. yeah, I don't know how. no. It's difficult, and when actually when you look at his whole career, I just think what what an amazing character. Like you can, how could you ever replace just looking at everything that he did? From like he's just you know from from Lily Savage to whatever. Like it just is incredible. The whole thing, the whole thing, just what an an incredible. And he was pals with Cilla Black. I mean, just so much to love. <laughs> There's just so much to what love. What you love, what I love about him is like you know obviously. When people pass, somebody's mm. usually got something to say that's neck. Nobody does. Nah. He is just nah. celebrated. Um, yeah. And it's so, yeah, it's very yeah. telling. What, what an amazing thing to have as part of your kind of story as well. You know, that's that's amazing too, really, isn't it? So very cool. Um, so you, um, I, I mean... I feel silly that you are going to, I'm afraid to say, inspire people, not only because you've been around for so long. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really bad joke. I don't know even why we started that, right? So but it, um, we're, we're rolling with it. We're rolling with he's it. He's really it's vlogging fine. it now. So um, no, you're, you're, an, you're inspiring. What I wonder if you could share with us who inspires you. Ooh. In the veterinary sector. It can honestly, people, sometimes say their mum it doesn't matter <laughs> now I feel bad if I don't say my mum I know oh sorry right okay um <laughs> I think yeah a person who I mean Rosie inspires me all the time I think she's frigging wonderful yeah. um and I think you know having been through my own mental health hideousnesses um over my my career I think what she's done what she continues to do is is yeah She's she just brings calm to any situation, um, and I love working with her. Um, but yeah, the, another gentleman in the veterinary profession of similar ilk um, was a guy called Nick Short. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He worked at the RVC, um, but I was on the Vet Life uh, board with him, and um, he was the first person to speak to me after I think I got better from depression, um, and then I ended up 
on the board, ended up meeting Rosie. And I kind of feel, yeah, um, sadly, he uh, passed away last, well, not that long ago. Um, and yeah, he was a beacon um, for me and someone, just a wise, a wise man. Um, and yeah, when Street Bet came as an idea, he would be the guy that I would call. Um, so yeah, uh, he, he was a, a pretty special special individual and and obviously i'm gonna stick my mum in because she's my mum um, <laughs> and she just did filming last week so we're making a short film about street vet at the moment um and mm. they wanted to interview my mum now you can imagine um how delighted and excited she was about that so she got to just like wax lyrical about all sorts of stuff in the kitchen with a film crew so that has a uh, has made her day so but the fact that we're in control of the edit also has made her day as well oh did she hate every second of that she yeah frigging loved it did she loved it or oh, i thought you were being sarky no, so she actually enjoyed loved it? it like the film crew were like oh. oh my god she's like your own lorraine kelly i'm like i know yes is she still in glasgow yeah Oh, nice. Um, oh, I thought you were being stuck. Oh, no, I love no. that she loved that. Loved it. Oh, I love that she loved that. Okay, good. Right, okay. <laughs> um, so there, if you ever need a stand-in, she's your new she's celebrity in. stand-in. She's in. Yeah. I, just, sorry, just, I don't want to change direction too much. You, you have mentioned just, in a, you know, in a couple of occasions, sort of your own struggles with mental health and, you know, you you you, chast- you mentioned vet life there and some, some really inspiring people to you. Do you think in any way that street vet has helped you yeah million percent yeah absolutely no no shadow of a doubt i think um i think i didn't realize i was looking for something at the time um but i think there's a lot of parallels well animals help to save lots of people um and my my relationship with my dog was very important to me when i was ill it was the only thing that i would get out of my bed to do was walk my dog or interact with my dog and that's what happens with our clients you know their dogs give Mm. them structure purpose and a reason and they don't care one of our clients said you know my dog doesn't care what I have or what I haven't got or what I've lost um and that that's just the truth they're just that's what they are they're just incredible um and I guess it was for me um a real celebration of that um and that's what street vet is really um as a celebration of the the human animal bond and and what amazing things dogs do um for us and yeah we've had i've had a lot of vets vet nurses you know say to me i was done i wanted to leave the profession i did not want to do this anymore but street vet had helped me to to re-engage and and get involved again partly because they could give back as a vet or a vet nurse without thinking about anything else other than just Mm -hmm. helping but also it's a really lovely community of really Mm like-minded like wonderful people um Mm -hmm. and yeah I love conference it's my favorite two days of the year you know just everybody in a room just you know hanging out and and being who they are and and it's yeah so I don't know if I answered the question, but I yeah. No, the answer was yes. I think <laughs> no, it was good. Um, <laughs> great. So, um, if if you were to 
go back and think about that time where you were making that application to vet school and making the decision to 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 be a, a vet would you if if you had that opportunity to make that choice again would you make that same decision 100% without any shadow of a doubt without any shadow of a doubt even though i, I you know i do think that this profession has contributed to mm. some of the mental health struggles mm. I've had. Um, yeah, it's taught me. I mean, I'm I'm a different person yeah. because of it. Um, so yeah, no. no and question. if you were to give a piece of advice to people listening, maybe specifically then from a from your own perspective, from a veterinary perspective, from you know uh, being able to have that lens and look back and think, God, if only I knew that thing now. What what piece of advice would that be? I think I had no concept how much I could do with my career mm. as a vet, and that yeah, I just thought it was it was very much you know I'm going to be a practicing vet, and anything else is not being a vet. Um, and the things that my veterinary career have allowed me to do. Um, are just mind-blowing to me you know I never I mean I, I I do not like standing up and speaking in front of people and now I have to do it all the time you know um I was doing it in Westminster last week it's just mental mm. um and it's such a privilege and I just think never yeah don't blinker this career because it's so open there's so many things that you can do and achieve and you know, if being in practice is not for you, that doesn't mean you've failed. Mm. Like, there's so many other things that veterinary medicine can can lead you to. Um, and if you've got an idea, don't give up on it. Like, you know, they'll, if the, there'll be other people that probably think it's a really good idea too. Mm. And then you never know w- where it goes from there, really. Yeah. Well, there you go. You're a very cool person. I just... <laughs> I just need to say, just to let you know that. <laughs> so I'll I'll take it. Thank you. <laughs> honestly, I'm just yeah. That was very cool. Thanks for chatting. That was great. Oh, so I really thank you for being engaged. I really appreciate. You know, I I if no one else ever hears this, I'll have enjoyed the, this hour that we spent together. <laughs> <laughs> A massive thank you again to Jade for chatting today. Honestly, just just such a joy. And as I said, um, a conversation that will stay with me for a very, very long time. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We're moving on to our clinical segment now. As I said, we're going to start a series of discussions about the management of acute diarrhea. Okay, so... Acute diarrhoea is something that we are really very used to dealing with in primary care practice. Um, And so a presentation that we are going to be really used to seeing in cats and dogs, but really this is something we more commonly see in dogs. And I think when we're chatting about acute diarrhoea, I think one of the first questions that we need to ask ourselves, or the, the first question that I would pose to you as you're listening, is if you're faced with you know, an uncomplicated case of acute diarrhea in dogs, would you routinely prescribe antibiotics in these cases? So 
feel free to answer out loud. No one can hear your answer unless you're with someone else. But if you're in the car, then feel very confident answering this question. So would you use antibiotics in cases of uncomplicated diarrhea? My second question would be, if you were going to use antibiotics in cases of uncomplicated diarrhea, what antibiotic would you reach for? Would it be metronidazole? Would it be amoxicillin? Would it be amoxicillin clavulonic acid? Or would it be a fluoroquinolone, for instance? And I think, you know, the answers to these questions will obviously vary. I think that if we're talking kind of classically, you know, if if, if you were to transport me back 10, 15 years in, in my career, then the answer to the first question, would you prescribe antibiotics in cases of uncomplicated acute diarrhea in dogs? My answer would be yes. And my answer to the second question, which antibiotic? My answer would be metronidazole. So those would have been my answers 15 years ago. Fast forward now, my answer to the first question would be no, I would not use antibiotics in cases of uncomplicated acute diarrhea. And my answer to the second question, which antibiotic would you reach for in these cases? It would be none of them if they are uncomplicated acute cases. And we'll dive a little bit more into, you know, when antibiotics might be uh, appropriate. So fundamentally, when we're talking about diarrhea in our cats and dogs, um, we're talking about excess faecal water. And, And either that's because of a decrease in intestinal absorption or because of an increased intestinal secretion. Um, And I I think one of the things, just to step on my soapbox um, just for a moment, I think we need to remember that um, diarrhea is, you know, happening ultimately um, if the uh, colon is kind of overwhelmed and losing its resorptive capacity for water. So really my point here is we can see, for instance, quite significant small intestinal disease, you know, where there there is, you know, quite significant disease within the small small intestine. But actually if the patient doesn't, if the colon doesn't lose that resorptive capacity for water, then actually you might not always get diarrhea. So you can have intestinal disease, particularly small intestinal disease, and it doesn't always necessarily translate into diarrhea. So we've got to, you know, remember that there can be GID disease without diarrhea is what I'm trying to say. But for the purposes of our discussion, we're going to be talking about patients that do have uh, diarrhea. And I think in cases, particularly in dogs, and we really are going to focus mainly on dogs, in cases of of dogs with acute diarrhea, one of the first things that we have to do is make that assessment of whether the diarrhea is actually worth investigation and treatment. Is is there a, you know, with that kind of cost benefit to the patient ratio, is it worth the cost or effort to diagnose and treat the problem? Many cases of diarrhea will be, you know, um, will will be acute. Um, they will often be self-resolving and we might not always get to the bottom of why the patient has diarrhea. So we have to, in that first instance, make an assessment of whether the diarrhea is likely to cause morbidity and mortality to the patient um, and, and whether we need to do very little or do a little bit more. And that will de- depend, obviously, on on the individual. 
Acute diarrhea is one of the most common reasons for dogs to be evaluated in a primary care setting when they're not coming for routine wellness stuff. So um, it's a common presentation and it also acute diarrhea can be caused by many things, by stress, by dietary indiscretion, by parasitism, environmental changes, diet changes, medication, toxins, bacteria, viruses. But many, many cases of acute diarrhea remain unknown as far as their cause. And I think the other key thing is that most cases of acute diarrhea are mild and self-limiting. So um, there was a survey, there's been various studies, but there was one survey, for instance, you know, that, that they did within pet owners where, and this was in the UK, where 78%, so 90 out of 115 dogs with acute diarrhoea had resolution of their diarrhoea within two days. Um, and only 10% of those owners actually sought veterinary care. So lots of dogs are having diarrhoea and lots of owners are actually not necessarily even coming to the vets with that problem. Um, and many of those cases will be uh, self-resolving. There are different ways in which acute diarrhea can present. So we do see, you know, certain notable forms of acute diarrhea, such as acute hemorrhagic diarrhea syndrome, um, which can be sort of slightly different in the severity of clinical signs. Doesn't mean that they need antibiotics, by the way, but, um, you know, uh, acute hemorrhagic diarrhea is obviously that very, um, you know, recognizable form of diarrhea where they have you know large volumes of um you know uh very bloody diarrhea um and so uh, you know that can be much more dramatic from the the owner's uh, point of view um and tends to be more common in, in small um middle-aged dogs and there there may be a bacterial role of that but again we're not 100 percent sure really about that i think you know for quite some time now actually we've had reasonable understanding of the fact that a lot of cases of diarrhea do not need um you know do not need uh, intervention with um antibiotics um and so going back there were some guidelines that came out uh i think even back in 2011 which really, um, you know, these were kind of international guide guidelines that, um, you know, really concluded that um, antimicrobials should only really be given to patients with diarrhea when they've got si significant systemic signs of illness and not just diarrhea itself. But I think despite that, we've still... Um, continue to administer antibiotics a lot of the time when they are not uh, necessary. Um so I think it's still a really important topic and certainly still uh, one that is very much worth, um, very much worth reviewing. Okay, so let's start maybe by discussing a case. So let's talk about Pablo. Um, so Pablo is a four-year-old Pomeranian who was uh, presented to you because... Um, he was walking on the beach earlier that day um, and within a few hours developed some acute watery diarrhea with some spots of fresh blood in it. He was still very bright. Um, his rectal temperature was 39.2. Uh, his heart rate was 120 beats per minute and uh, otherwise on physical examination uh, 
pretty unremarkable. So generally a well dog with a very acute presentation of watery diarrhea. He was up to date with his vaccinations, including leptospirosis, um, as well as being up to date with flea, tick and worming treatment that was administered from the vets. He was a known scavenger. There wasn't anything specific that he'd scavenged on that day, but certainly the owner reported him to pick up things when he was out on walks. His appetite was unaffected. He was still he would have still eaten something if you'd if you'd put in that, you know, put something down to him. No vomiting, just the diarrhea. His abdominal palpation was unremarkable, no previous medical problems, and no current medications. So again, not a huge amount there to go on. No vomiting. I suppose that's another you know, relatively important thing just to keep in mind when we're making decisions. So at this stage, you know, do you give him some symptomatic treatment? Do you take it a little bit further and do some haematology and biochemistry? Um, if you were going to do other tests beyond the kind of routine haematology, biochemistry, urinalysis, are there other tests that you would consider? Um, or would you just consider no treatment at all to be relatively appropriate. Now, these owners were quite worried. Um, and so we did do haematology biochemistry, I think probably driven a little bit by them. And, and you'll all kind of relate to that situation where the owners are going to be part of that sort of decision making process. Hematology was relatively unremarkable. Things that might be interesting, interesting on a hematology of a patient with GI presentation would be, you know, in cases of acute hemorrhagic um, diarrhea syndrome, they often will be hemoconcentrated. If they were losing blood from their GI tract, you may see that translate into anemia that can initially be uh, regenerative, but can become non-regenerative. Um, you would typically expect a stress leukogram in patients with, with any systemic disease really um, and actually this patient didn't have a stress leukogram on the haematology and that lack of a stress leukogram might uh, raise your index of suspicion for something like Addison's disease. Biochemistry is always helpful you know um, looking at general health from a kind of liver and kidney point of view obviously you can get GI signs with both liver and kidney disease Looking at things like electrolytes is is, is always helpful because they can be lost from the GI tract. Um, protein, you know, um, protein losing enteropathy and, and also uh, protein loss because of GI bleeding would be other things to potentially um, look for. But, but this wee dog, Pablo, had um, really very unremarkable hematology and biochemistry. So... Based on a relatively well dog with acute presentation of mucousy diarrhea, would you administer five days of oral metronidazole? Would you administer five days of probiotic? Would you do absolutely nothing and ask the owner to monitor? Uh, or would you feed a commercial gastrointestinal diet, something that was easily kind of a di digestible? And I think, you know, again, answer out loud if you're on your own, but, um, you know, I... A combination of maybe all of the above you've done at some stage in your career. I think that we'd move away from that five days of metronidazole, but all those other things would be kind of fair game. And just to give you an idea of what we did in this particular patient, we um, uh, gave we did give a probiotic, and we'll, we'll go on to talk a little bit a bit more about about that. We um, did give a commercial. GI preparation, you know, a, a can of gastrointestinal easily digestible food. 
And the other thing you could consider doing at this stage would maybe be to, if the, if there wasn't a good worming history, then um, you could consider, you know, five days of fembendazole at this point, just to be sure that there's not anything sort of parasitic going on. So uh, that's the kind of things I would be thinking about um, at this particular uh, stage. Many people may still say to you, look, we give them antibiotics at this point because actually antibiotics do make them better. We do see clinical improvement with antibiotics. And actually, that's one of, I think, the the, the major kind of misconceptions that really what we understand is that, uh, you know, antibiotics are administered, antibiotics are not making them better, antibiotics um are making no more difference than, um, uh, you know, placebo or if you did nothing. And, and so there are a number of studies looking at various different parameters now that really demonstrate that there's no added benefit to giving uh, antibiotics in these situations. Um, and one of the things just on that topic that I really think is is really important, I think that... Um, Again, back in the day, you know, if if we hospitalised patients with diarrhoea, often, particularly if it was there was any blood in it, we used to give things like you know double combinations of antibiotics, amoxicillin, clavulonic acid, and metronidazole together intravenously. So certainly, there's studies that that really support that um, that that is definitely uh, not uh, necessary. Um, you know. Other studies really uh, support that um, most of these patients are going to improve uh, regardless of the addition of, of uh, antibiotics or not. And, and another study um, looking at the fact that, um, you know, potentially actually, you know, certainly the addition of metronidazole was no better than giving a probi- probiotic in, in some cases. So there's there's lots of different studies, but I can, you know, really in, in summary, um no added benefit in uncomplicated uh, episodes of diarrhea in the addition of antibiotics. And it's really only when they're becoming systemically unwell that we need to think about the addition of antibiotics. And I think the main thing is that there are various negative short and long-term effects uh, to giving antibiotics. We can see short-term effects of giving antibiotic medication like vomiting, actually diarrhea, anorexia. Um, and then the wider discussion about the dysbiosis that we're, that we're causing by giving antibiotics unnecessarily that could go on to cause even um, uh, worse uh, GI disease. And then also um, potentially, again, that selection for uh, resistant bacteria and that whole um, conversation about um, antimicrobial resistance, which is going to be uh, impacted by by the, the overuse of antibiotics for sure. So I think, you know, no real benefit from the... Um, from the addition of antibiotics in cases of uncomplicated uh, diarrhea in dogs. Um, and, you know, most studies are really in support of that, uh, that uh, 
the duration of illness and and the the course of kind of clinical signs is not positively impacted by the the addition of the antimicrobial agents and we know that many of the negative effects of antimicrobial use are going to far outweigh any benefit anyway so i think really the the first conclusion that we can come to is truly um, that we can step away from the antibiotics Okay, so we'll leave it there for today. There's lots more to discuss and we'll continue that discussion a little bit um, next time. Um, But uh, thank you for your attention today and I look forward to uh, picking up this conversation uh, in our next episode. A massive thank you again to Jade for chatting today and as always a huge thank you to all of you for listening. I'm also very pleased to announce that at the beginning of the episode um, that Jade uh, was in the later stages of her pregnancy and just to, to say that she now has had her baby and uh, we're wishing her and her family uh, all the best. If you would like to find out a, a little bit more about uh, VTX and what we do, then please head over to our website, which is www.vtx-cpd.com and we'll pop lots of information about Street Vet and what they do in the show notes. So please be sure to check that out. Thank you again and I will see you next time.